Welcome to Family Shield Ministries. We are on mission to help families walk together with each other and with God. I am Pastor Mark Fummel, part of the Family Shield Ministries crew, and I'm blessed to share the microphone, usually blessed by Kay Meyer. Today, we have a very special guest, David Brickner, who is the executive director of a very unique ministry, Jews for Jesus. Jews for Jesus is an international Christian missionary organization, and you're headquartered in San Francisco, California, right, David? That's right, Mark. Shalom. Great to be with you. Is that where uh, you are right now, San Francisco? I am in my office in San Francisco, yes. And I love all the books in the background. I know our podcast listeners cannot see it, but uh, they are very scholarly. Lots of series back there. <laughs> Mostly resources. I look things up. <laughs> I've got a lot of books in my library also, and uh, people say, have you read all these books? And I'll say, I've read most of them, but I've touched all of them. You know, just, you know, you don't don't read commentaries cover to cover normally. Good answer. All right. Well, Jews for Jesus, and correct me if I'm wrong, I I would say that you focus on sharing God, uh, that Jesus is God, uh, and that he's the Messiah, which is another word for Christ. Uh, And both words, Old Testament, New Testament, uh, the essential meaning, I would say, is Savior of all people. How would you kind of interpret Christ and Messiah? Absolutely. Jesus is the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the world. He's the one who has promised to my Jewish people thousands of years ago and has come and fulfilled those prophecies and opened a way for Jews and Gentiles together to know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through faith in him. Sweet. And so today we wanted to have you on, David, and for our listeners, we wanted to share what you're doing, what your organization doing, and all the different missionaries that are connected with you uh, as you help Jewish people, and not just Jewish people, but all sorts of people. But especially, uh, I imagine that your ministry in and around and to Israel has got some uh, very big changes and maybe shifts as uh, as kind of the global events have unfolded. So first, I got to say, I don't always get an opportunity to chat with somebody who has their own Wikipedia page. <laughs> have you looked yourself up well, on Wikipedia? Uh, you know, sometimes I do, and uh, it can be alarming what gets up there sometimes. <laughs> uh, Jews for Jesus has been controversial since... Uh, Well, I guess probably since the days of Jesus, we have a little plaque on the cornerstone of our headquarters here in San Francisco, which reads, Jews for Jesus established 32 AD, give or take a year. Nice. And so the controversy concerning Jesus in the Jewish community is that old. Uh, The Apostle Paul, as he went to preach, he started in the synagogues. In the book of Acts, you can see that wherever he went, there was either a riot or a revival, and sometimes both. And uh, so when you look at my Wikipedia page, you'll notice that there are some people who are very excited about Jews believing in Jesus and others who are quite opposed to the idea. And that's been true, and I imagine will be true until Jesus comes again. But uh, that controversy often is used by God to uh, magnify the platform from which we can proclaim the good news of the gospel. So we, we're grateful uh, as long as they spell our name right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the, uh, the tension between the followers of the Messiah, the followers of Jesus Christ, certainly dates all the way back to when Jesus was walking around preaching, teaching, uh, and it even led to his crucifixion. And of course, it's very important for everybody to remember it wasn't just Jewish people putting Jesus on the cross. The cross was owned by Rome, and centurions were at the bottom, making sure no one took him down. Uh, and so Jesus was um, crucified both by Jews and Gentiles. All four Gospels are very clear about that. 
And the prophet Isaiah tells us that it pleased the Lord to put him to death. So it was all part of God's plan from the beginning. And uh, humans, our own sin is the responsibility for the death of our Lord. But it was God's mercy and grace that put Jesus to death so that he might bring salvation and eternal life to all of us. Yeah, it wasn't just ancient Jewish people or ancient Gentile people. Uh, all of us, if any of us can get through life without messing it up too bad, then Jesus is redundant and unnecessary. And then God can say, okay, well, be like David over there. That's right. <laughs> so just as we're kind of having this conversation, uh, you'll see this in the Bible uh, for our listeners. I know, David, you already know this, but you'll see this in the Bible a lot, especially in the New Testament, but also quite a few times in the Old Testament where you'll see Jew and Gentile or Jews and the nations or Israel and the other nations. And um, obviously any sort of categorization is going to be messy. Uh, I think for our current context, and I'd love for you to speak into this, when I see in the Bible uh, Jews, I, I kind of think of people who are raised as believers, like raised in the church, raised in the religious system, whereas Gentiles would be something like, in a modern context, would be something like people who are raised outside of the church, outside of the promises, outside of a biblical worldview, like not a Judeo-Christian worldview. Now, I know in Jesus's time, in Paul's time, that was a very clear distinction. But I find as a pastor, because I'm a pastor here in St. Louis, the categories of Jewish and Gentile very much line up with people raised with a Bible and Gentile are, you know, people raised without a Bible. You know, back in Paul's day, it was people who were raised listening to Zeus or Jupiter earlier, Baal. Uh, now it's people who are raised because mom's a Wiccan and dad's not really anything. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, they do call uh, the Jewish people the people of the book uh, because God brought the scriptures, even the New Testament, but, but definitely the Old Testament to the world through the Jewish people. But Mark, it's I'm sad to say that most of my people don't know the Bible at all. Um, secularism has impacted the Jewish community as much as any other. And so today, less than 20% of the Jewish community here in North America, and even in Israel, would con be considered religious Jews. And even those who are religious would study oftentimes more the writings of the rabbis, known as the Talmud, than they would the scriptures. Uh, they, if they're familiar with the Bible, might know more about the Torah, the first five books of Moses, what we would call the Pentateuch, and the Psalms, but the prophets and the rest of the writings, vast ignorance. And so the people of the book don't know their own heritage. And so when we proclaim the gospel to Jewish people, we can't assume that they have that foundation of knowledge of the scriptures. And uh, so we want to stick close to the Bible. We want to encourage people because there is a modicum of respect that the Jewish people will have because of the tradition, the history. Uh, but most people in America, Jewish people, unless they're very religious, will view the Bible as part of our heritage, part of our history, but not the word of God. You know, in the Christian church, a lot of times there are people who say, well, you know, Jewish people, they're going to know the Old Testament, right? That's the only book that they have. So they really know the Old Testament. 
And I, and I thought that for quite a while until I was working out at the gym. I love to work out. When you exercise, you bring a better you to every conversation. Mark, right. I'm looking at you. I know our listeners can't see, but uh, I can tell you work out. Hey, all right. <laughs> all right, listeners, do you hear that? So I, uh, But I was talking to somebody who's Jewish um, some years ago, and it was a Saturday. And I said, and I thought it was odd that she was lifting weights and pretty working pretty hard, getting a sweat going on Saturday. And I said, out of curiosity, um, you're working pretty hard on a Saturday as a Jewish person. And she goes, well, that's okay because this is recreational work. This isn't like work work. And I said, but there's like a guy in the Bible who was stoned to death because he was picking up sticks to, you know, like have a s'mores party or, you know, like make popcorn or whatever it was. You know, picking up <laughs> sticks isn't a massive work. You know, I mean, the dude wasn't like pulling logs. And, and she goes... Well, but, you know, the rabbis, as they've kind of come to terms with that, have made exceptions for um, working out and exercise and, like, you know, cutting the grass and gardening and doing some of your hobbies. And I was like, hmm. But then I said, you know, I said, so what do you do when, you when you know, at synagogue? And she said, well, I teach Sunday school. And I said, wait a second, Sunday school? I thought it was supposed to be like Saturday school. And I know there are variations, and I'd love to hear from you to talk about like the different variations of Judaism because there are some who are very orthodox. But I said, why, why isn't it uh, Saturday school? And she goes, well, everybody just goes to church on Sunday, so we just, you know, it's just more convenient. And I was like, okay. And I was like, so if you teach Sunday school, uh, as a Jewish person, you don't you do not do like the letters of Paul, the, the Gospels. You get some really great stories in the Old Testament like Samson and Gideon. And she goes, who? And I was like, oh, my goodness. So when you said the Talmud, um, that is uh, sort of like the collection of what Jewish rabbis wrote about what other Jewish rabbis wrote, about what other Jewish rabbis wrote, about like, you know, all the way back to what Moses wrote and was told by God. So it's sort of like this third hand or fourth hand or, or more handed sort of this is what we do like as a cultural thing as opposed to a people of the book. Is that a fair? Yeah, it is. And to be you know, fair to the tradition, um, Jewish people, the rabbis, have taken the commandments of the five books of Moses very literally, and they've tried to figure out, well, how do we actually do this? Mm -hmm. So, for example, there's a command in the book of Leviticus, you shall not boil a kid in its mother's milk. Like a goat kid. Now, yeah. Uh, now, the rabbis have said, well, what does that mean? And they have come up with a lot of laws that now are very central in Judaism concerning how to eat. Uh, and and that law has come to mean for the Jewish people that if you're going to be religious, you shouldn't have meat and dairy in the same meal. Like pizza, because cheeseburgers. Because the possibility exists. <laughs> yeah, the possibility exists that you could take a glass of milk from a mother goat and drink it and then take a piece of goat baby and eat it. And then you've broken the commandment because in your stomach, the little piece of goat is right. boiling in its mother's milk. And it seems absurd to our modern ears, but the interest is how do we really keep these laws in their fullness? And right behind me uh, is a, a, a Talmud, 
and it is voluminous. It's like an encyclopedia, and that contains all of these regulations and all of these interpretations, and it's very different from the spirit of the prophets and of the scriptures that we are familiar with in the Older Testament, and yet it is the foundational documents for modern-day Orthodox Judaism. And this woman that you met in the gym was likely part of a Reformed Jewish temple, which is kind of like your liberal Protestant version of the Jewish uh, religion. And so she's got Sunday school instead of Sabbath school. She's got ways of deciding that it's okay for her to go and work out in the gym on Saturday on the Shabbat. Uh, and uh, that would never pass muster with a very religious community for sure. But she's liberal, so she has her own interpretations of it. And to be fair, in the Old Testament, before Jesus, they were required to keep those uh, requirements lest they be executed, right? Or, you know, some other punishment. Yeah, there are 613 commandments in the first five books of Moses, according to the rabbis. And those 613 commandments have spawned other commandments mm -hmm. because, you know, like the one about boiling a kid in its mother's milk, you can take one commandment. And in order to observe that one, you have to have another five or ten to make sure that you're keeping the original and so that's why there are so many laws and so much legalism connected with religious Judaism. And it really does kind of squeeze the life out of a spiritual relationship with God. My people, the Jewish people, need the Lord so much. They have a lot of beauty and tradition in their religion, but they don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have the life of the Spirit, and they don't know their own scriptures. And so because of that, they've been robbed of their heritage, which is beautiful if it's completed in Messiah. But apart from that, it's dead religion. And if Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world, they're missing out a big part of their scriptures, not just by not reading Isaiah or Daniel or Malachi, but also just not reading what God said next. Absolutely. I want to jump back on this, but I just want to pause to uh, tip the hat to the people who make today possible. Um, this episode is only part of what Family Shield Ministries does. Uh, FSM helps families walk together uh, with each other and, of course, with God. Uh, we focus on equipping families to witness to each other and to the world. And we air on 52 radio stations. So if you're listening to this through radio, thank you to your radio station, because we do 52 radio stations uh, throughout the United States and uh, on all the podcast platforms. We also uh, coordinate other educational evangelism projects, which now includes Faith Family Reunion, which uh, serves parents of prodigals. And of course, prodigals are adult children who grew up in the faith, but have left the faith. And we are praying that they come back. Now, all this good that we do, we do together. And that's with you. We are a self-supporting, listener-funded ministry. And we really do need your prayers, support, generosity, and sacrifice to allow us to share the gospel with those who do not yet know Jesus and to empower Christians to serve and witness. So please pray for us. Please send a donation, which can be a one-time gift or monthly gift at www.familyshieldministries.org. And no gift is too little or too large when they're put in the hands of the Messiah, the Christ. So now let's get back to our conversation, uh, which I am thoroughly enjoying, and I hope in our, all our listeners are enjoying also, uh, with David Brickner, Executive Director of uh, Jews for Jesus. Uh, yeah, so if we, we just left off with uh, if, if Jesus is the Messiah, if he is the Christ, the Savior of the world, the one promised. 
the one on all whom all things hinge and relate and circle. Uh, if a Jewish person is not, um, by missing out on Jesus, not only are they missing out on all the fullness of the Old Testament, like all the messianic prophecies of the suffering servant and the new covenant in Jeremiah and uh, the the forerunner in Malachi and uh, the king who comes in like uh, Zechariah, um, they're missing out on the scriptures that they have, but they're also missing out on what God said next, kind of the second half of the dinner conversation with Jesus by missing out on the Gospels and the uh, the letters and especially Revelation, which has all sorts of stuff. Um, so yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Missing out on parts, uh, big parts of God's word. Well, you know, one of my favorite slogans, and we actually put it on a t-shirt, is Jesus made me kosher. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, kosher is a Hebrew word that means clean or acceptable to God. And Jesus has made us kosher. But, you know, Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Jewish people. And if he's not that, then he can't be the savior of the world. But if he is the savior of the world, then he must also be the one who fulfilled all the hope and promise of the prophets of the Jewish people. So why why miss out on the best uh, that God had to give? Um, many Christians have wondered, do Jewish people really need Jesus? Aren't they okay? on their own? Don't they have a covenant with God through Abraham and Moses and David? And of course, all of those wonderful uh, biblical heroes pointed to Jesus. That was the whole purpose of their ministry and their writings is to point to the fulfillment. And so that's what Jews for Jesus is all about. We relentlessly pursue God's plan for the salvation of the Jewish people. And that can't happen without faith and trust in Jesus, just as everyone else. Now, if I was born before Jesus walked the earth, so we're still under the Old Testament, we're still under the Old Covenant, and I apologize if that's an offensive terminology. Is that, is that an offensive terminology? No. Okay. No, I just didn't want to be insensitive. Yeah. So I'm not an Old Testament scholar. I mean, I love the Old Testament, but I, you know, I haven't memorized whole books of the Old Testament yet. Uh, I'm definitely a specialist of the Gospels, but um, it struck me uh, some time ago that as I'm reading the Old Testament, especially Leviticus, it seems like, and I may be totally off on this, um, it seems like all the sacrifices are for unintentional sins. So, oops, I did it again, right? So, oh, I did a little, I walked longer than the Sabbath distance on the Sabbath day, or, oh, I accidentally put on a belt that had a, that violates Leviticus 19, which has like a leather belt and a metal buckle. Or, oh, I did it. I, I ate some takeout from that restaurant that I thought was kosher, but it turns out it wasn't. So all the sacrifices, as I read Leviticus, are for unintentional sins. The intentional sins, it seems as I read Leviticus and other parts of the, the Torah, uh, there is no sacrifice, which means if I do something that I know is wrong while I'm doing it, and I don't instantly stop and run to the temple and sacrifice, you know, through the high priest, a goat, or, you know, by that time, I'd just be able to offer an ephah of grain because I would run out of money. Uh, I would not have any hope in salvation because I, I have done intentional sins. And intentional sins, from what I read in the book of Leviticus and other places, uh, the punishment is exile, right, banishment, or, or death. So I don't think you could really be certain of salvation. And in fact, if I were only raised on the Old Testament and someone comes in and talks to me about Jesus, I would say, oh my goodness, like there's just forgiveness. Now I know God is not changing. 
And I know you can look at Isaiah and see all these promises of forgiveness, right? He'll make our sins, though they're like scarlet, be like white as snow. So I know forgiveness was a thing. But when you're following the letter of the law, everyone loses. What are your thoughts about Jesus being like the scapegoat to the actual letter of the law? Well, I love to use that word, scapegoat. Azazel in Hebrew is a reference to the one time of year where these issues are dealt with in the Jewish law, and that is the festival, um, the fast of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And on this day, and on this day only, the high priest, when the temple was standing, would go into the Kodesh HaKodeshim, the most holy place, and there offer blood, sprinkled blood on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. All of the nation, having made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem, would wait outside um, because this was the serious stuff that sin was being atoned for, for the priests and for the people, for intentional and unintentional, for all sin was to be covered on Yom Kippur. And uh, mm. the possibility was that God would not receive the sacrifice uh, and uh, the priest would be struck down uh, before the throne, before the Ark of the Covenant, before God's dwelling. Um, so when he came back out from that most holy place, it was almost like a resurrection. Uh, the high priest coming out of that place was a sign and symbol of our sins being atoned for, for another year only, for another year. And of course, this foreshadows the resurrection of Jesus, who once and for all, uh, with his own shed blood, purchased uh, atonement for all who trust in him. Now, the Azazel that you made reference to, the, the scapegoat, was another symbol. Uh, this goat would not be sacrificed on the altar, but rather the high priest would place his hands upon the head of that sacrifice and confess the sins of the people. And then a scarlet cord would be tied around this the goat and it would be led out through the crowd, through the midst of the people, outside of the city where it, ostensibly it would it would perish. But there was a very visual graphic uh, image here of the sins being removed from the midst of the people. Uh, the scarlet cord is what you referenced in Isaiah chapter 1, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. So there was a lot of imagery, there was a lot of ceremony, but ultimately uh, we know that someone could go through a ritual like that and not experience forgiveness, not experience the atonement that was symbolized in the sacrifices in the temple, because it all comes down to faith. And this is something that Paul makes very clear in the book of Romans. Abraham believed God, and God appointed it unto him as righteousness. And that was before the temple. That was before the sacrifices. So faith has always been the operative principle. And when God established the Ten Commandments and all of the rest of the laws concerning purification and atonement, it wasn't a mechanical way of achieving forgiveness. It was the means by which we express our faith and trust in God. When God tells you, this is how you show your faith in me, that's what Israel is supposed to do. And unfortunately, the Old Testament is one long historic evidence of the fact that Israel was never able 
to demonstrate that kind of faithfulness. Never has been and never will. And all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And so no ritual, uh, no attending church, no receiving communion. <laughs> None of these things actually work apart from faith in the promise of God fulfilled in Jesus. Right. Otherwise, you're just sitting next to the people who are actually enjoying the show. Like you're in a 3D movie theater with two eye patches on when everybody else has the, the glasses on. You're, you're, you're totally missing everything if you don't actually have that recognition of reality, uh, the trust in the one Absolutely. Savior. Hey, so if it's okay, I know you're a very busy guy and you have so many great things to do and I'm so excited for all the stuff that you're doing and I'm very thankful for all the time that you spent. Would you be willing to come back for a part two? I'd like for part two to be everything going on on October 7th and afterwards. Uh, I don't want to get too political, of course, and you know because that doesn't really help ministry usually. Uh, I just would love to really focus on uh, how that's affected your ministry, how that's uh, made it worse, made it harder, given more doors for the gospel. Um, so next time, uh, I'd really like to focus, just this time, I've been excited about learning about Judaism, Christian and uh, Judaism, how they overlap, uh, intersect, fulfill each other. Um, but also, uh, next time, I'd really like to get into some popcorn kind of questions of uh, like how October 7th specifically has uh, changed your ministry. So is it okay if we come back one more time in just a bit? Yes, let's do it. Cool. So I would like to uh, just kind of end this episode with uh, just one more question uh, or talking point. Uh, just recently, uh, as we are recording this, the tunnel in the New York synagogue was discovered in one of these synagogues. There was a rabbi who about 30 years ago died, but one of his visions was that the synagogue would be expanded. And so then a lot of the younger members of the synagogue decided, most of these were never even alive when that rabbi was preaching, but they decided they were going to expand the synagogue with this 60 foot long tunnel, eight feet wide, five feet high. And they're even tapping into the basements of nearby buildings. And I was listening to a lot of the interviews or watching the, or reading the interviews from other people. And uh, some of the older people had knew that it was happening, but knew it wasn't right. And so it struck me uh, synagogues are a lot like congregations in that there are all sorts of kinds of Jewish people in each synagogue, just like there are all sorts of Lutherans in a Lutheran church, all sorts of Catholics in a Catholic church. Um, and then, you know, you touched on this earlier that there are Reformed and Orthodox and conservative and liberal. Um, so is it fair to say that when you're talking to a Jewish person, uh, in just like the few last seconds that we got left, uh, that they are an individual with unique things that may have been common with others, but just treated as an individual? Absolutely. You can't presume that your Jewish friend, your neighbor, your doctor, your lawyer, whatever your relationship is, has a, a firm faith in God, believes that the Bible is the word of God. And so when you talk to them, speak to them based upon the relationship that you do have and share that you have come to know the God of Israel. And uh, how do they know? Uh, do they have a relationship with the God of Israel? You can't, that you can't even assume that they believe in God. So I would start by asking a question, you know, what does your heritage and tradition mean to you today in terms of your relationship with God? Ooh. And then listen to the answer. That's a beautiful talking point. I think that approach is best with everybody. Hey, what are your feelings? What are your thoughts on all right. Well, unfortunately, time has clicked off on us. So um, we've been enjoying time with David Brickner, the executive director of Jews for Jesus. And uh, this is Family Shield Ministries. To get more into the treasures that we offer, you can find us at www.familyshieldministries.org. And with that, the Lord be with you.
You've been listening to Family Shield, a production of Family Shield Ministries. Its mission is to educate and equip people through the power of the gospel to know Christ, grow in His Word, and to strengthen individuals and their families. To learn how you can obtain resources or support the ministry, go to www.familyshieldministries.com or write Family Shield Ministries, 7045 Parkwood Street, St. Louis, Missouri, 63116. And tune in again next week for Family Shield. Thank you.